as difficult as some of these signs here would have been for us, or was for us, to understand what they meant, so too in the book of Revelation there are a number of signs that were purposely made difficult uh, for the reader, except for the believer. The believer could understand them, but the Romans couldn't. And uh, if they could have, they would have been even more enraged against the church. But uh, So some of the signs in the book of Revelation were both for, to reveal and to hide at the same time. So to give a message that uh, people could, um, the Christians understood, but that the unbelievers, and particularly those who were the terrorists, uh, that being uh, the Roman Empire, uh, wouldn't understand. Uh, this morning I got up... Uh, I don't know, around 6 o'clock, and I usually when I'm having my coffee, I'm, I, I'll turn on some of the news, and I like watching BBC news. And uh, so there was, a, there was a piece on there this morning about the uprising in Belarus against Lushenko, who had, uh, who's the president, and who had this um, election that was all rigged, and... Uh, and so he got voted in dishonestly, and now there's a huge, big uprising. Literally hundreds of thousands of people have been protesting this for a long time. And I saw in the protest a huge, great, big sign that said 666. And I thought, wow, and this is, this is a sign from God that I'm supposed to continue in the Revelation series. I, I took it that way. <laughs> but as you know, uh, 666 is... Um, the number of um, the Antichrist, uh, and it's a, it's so many people have wondered uh, who the, who the Antichrist actually is. And at the time the Bible was written, whenever uh, the Book of Revelation was given, the church of the church at the time was convinced that the the Antichrist was Nero, because he fit all of the criteria. And all through history, there's been people that have been accused of, of being the Antichrist. Well, uh, th this uh, series, I pray, will really grip your hearts. And uh, I just want to say that uh, I didn't get to the prayer meeting last night because I've been very involved in another matter. And uh, I, I, I heard such good reports about it. And uh, I think that maybe at the end of tonight's service, we could have a, a prayer time. Now, uh, Dr. Uh, Emmanuel, who's with us this morning, has just finished his uh, one of his major tests to become a doctor here in Canada uh, for 15 years. He was a doctor in Nigeria and is, is working on getting his um, certification for the province of Nova Scotia. And uh, so he finished an exam on Tuesday and then came here on Wednesday for fasting and prayer, and he's been in the prayer room ever since Wednesday evening without food or water, and um, is sitting here today after coming out of prayer, and is going to continue f until seven or ten days is complete. And then afterwards, he's going to make himself available for uh, people to come for prayer, to meet him for prayer. Now, God has used him in miracles powerful miracles. And uh, uh, anyway, um, I would like him to take some time in tonight's service, and so you might want to come back just for that. Uh, and we'll do this more regularly. Uh, have special times of prayer, but, but I really wanted you to get into, on, into what, what he's praying. He's praying for revival, and uh, I sat with him in the prayer room for a while. Uh, I don't know if it was yeah yesterday morning, and uh, he was sharing with me for his heart for revival and how we can never ever have revival without prayer, and and the importance of prayer for the church, and it applies right across the board to leadership, uh, to, um, to to our children, to our teens teaching them to pray and to intercede and to make prayer vitally important in their lives. And we know that our future depends upon that. And so uh, tonight we will, we will do uh, some prayer like that, and uh, you can come back, and we will uh, look to see what happens next week and uh, 
uh, in the weeks following. Uh, and maybe Manuel will just move here. We'll see. Anyway, uh, I'm going to be speaking this morning about recurring themes in the book of Revelation. How's our time? Who has the time? Pardon me? Quarter after 11. Okay. Uh, and, and this is vitally important to understanding the book. So the book is divided into seven sections, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about that, seven divisions. They're natural divisions in the book. And in those seven divisions, there's themes that recur over and over again. But let's, uh, let's start with uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. So the revelation of Jesus Christ, it is a revelation. In other words, it reveals things that could not be known by human research or human intellect or human understanding. They come to us, they reveal to us things of God and uh, they're for the purpose of the church, for his servants. And he says they must shortly take place. So the things in the book of Revelation weren't just for some future date, as we often think when we study the book of Revelation. It was for their time then. It's for our time now, and it's for the future. So that's important. And he sent and signified it. Here is where we get that word sign. You saw a bunch of them up there. So it's to signify it by his angel to a servant John. So notice signified, uh, the first four word letters are form the word sign. And he bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. And so blessed is he who reads and those who hears the words of this prophecy and keeps those things which are written in it. Now, the book of Revelation unveils or reveals a vision of, hev of heavenly perspectives that apply to things that we see in this earth. So we see all kinds of stuff going on in this world, and we see it from our very earthly standpoint. But the book of Revelation shows us what God thinks or what God sees or what is true from God's point of view. And it's very true, and the book of Revelation addresses this, that there are evil powers at work, and they influence all, all segments, all levels of society. So behind the scenes, there are evil powers and evil forces. And the, the book systematically exposes these evil powers and these evil forces. From a, from a human perspective, it often seems that evil is winning or bad things, even like pandemics, are, are taking the props right out of, our, of everything we trust in. And it seems that when it comes to evil men or evil countries, uh, uh, evil influences within nations, that evil seems to always triumph over good. But the book provides insight as, as to what is actually behind the scenes in human history and the ultimate triumph of good over evil. And it expresses itself in the triumph of the church over evil because our Lord is Jesus who ultimately tri triumphs over the devil and all who are attached to him. So, uh, one of the things in the book, one of the signs are numbers. And this is a whole interesting study in itself. I'm just going to comment uh, this morning on one number, and that is the number seven. It's the, perhaps the most significant number in the, the apocalypse, and it represents completeness or perfectness or perfection. Now, Revelation mentions number seven some 55 times. And here's some of them. There are seven spirits, seven churches, seven lampstands, seven stars, seven lamps of, the, of fire, Seven horns, seven eyes, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven, 
seven songs, seven angels, seven thunders, seven worthies, and that's a worship expression, uh, seven heads, seven crowns, seven mountains, seven kings, seven plagues, and just so the number seven is, is there right through the book. And it, it definitely signifies something. It's not necessarily used uh, to be applied literally in every instance. Uh, often it's a, a symbolic or, or symbol of, uh, of completeness of other things. Now, I'm just going to go through this really quickly. Uh, I'm just going to briefly give you the seven natural divisions that are in the book of Revelation, uh, starting with verses, uh, chapters 1, verse 3. Uh, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to his servants, things which shortly will take place. So that the first division uh, starts with that statement and goes up to the end of chapter 3, which is the end of his talks to the church. Uh, chapters 4 to 7 it begins with, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. So now he sees something different. He's going into a whole new division of the book. And then uh, the third division it starts at, um, I think I missed one. I'll go to the fourth division. Oh, it's there. Uh, it starts with, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about an hour. Now, so this is, this is something very, very powerful because all through the book you'll see the praises and the shouting and, and uh, the sounds and the trumpets, but now you have silence. And uh, so the, it suggests something of great awe, something that is breathtaking. The next division, the fourth division, is chapters 12 to 14, and it be begins with, Now a great sign appeared in heaven. So here's another sign. It's, a, it's another new division. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Wow. And it goes on to describe that woman. Uh, the fifth division is uh, chapters 15 and 16, and it begins with, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last, the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And then chapter 17 to 19, and it begins with, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying, uh, saying to me, come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. And so here we get this picture of uh, a harlot and her influences basically extends all around the world. She sits on many waters. And then the last division, uh, which is probably the favorite of most Christians, is this opens with, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hands. Well, that begins uh, uh, a statement about the ultimate end of Satan and, and, and his, his people. The chain represents the binding of, of Satan. And uh, it, and this angel had a key to the bottomless pit. Wow. Well, anyway, those are the <laughs> those are the divisions. We'll be taking a look at them as we go on through the study. But in every division, and I'm going to demonstrate w uh, that with you in the time that w remains for this me message. In every division, there are three primary uh, themes. And you'll see them talked about in each one, in, in some in, in greater measure about one and some in greater measure about the other. But the first theme is Jesus. He is the central figure of the book. The, the book is not so much about what's going to happen tomorrow or in the future or who in the world is the Antichrist. The central theme is who is the Christ, and that's Jesus. And the second theme is the church. Those who are, well, you and me, the church down through the ages until the return of Christ. And so, so much is said about 
the place of the church in history. Now, at the time this was written, uh, the people were under terrible persecution. They were, uh, everything seemed helpless and hopeless, and what would the future ever hold? But as the book of Revelation unfolds and you see the centrality of Christ throughout the whole message, you also see that connected to him is you and me and his church around the world throughout the ages until he returns. And the third theme is the final judgment of the devil and those in his kingdom. And those three themes work their way through every one of these seven uh, sections. So I'm going to go through this. Uh, uh, take, I'm going to take a few verses from each of the seven, and you'll get, you'll get the, the picture. Revelation 1, 10 to 18. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and, heard, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the, of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. So the, the lampstands represented the church, as you will see, and in the midst of them is Jesus. So he's central to the church. And he was clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet were like fine brass, <laughs> as, as refined in a fire, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Okay, well, why? So here's the theme of judgment. So he's in the midst of the church. He is the first and the last. He is the eternal God. So he's there in the midst of his church, and at the same time in his mouth is a sharp two-edged sword which speaks of the judgments that are coming. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forever. Throughout all of the themes about Jesus, there are several references to the blood that he shed and to his resurrection, and begins with that here. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death, and write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. And the mystery, by mystery, it's not something spooky, but it's something that is being revealed uncovered the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches which literally meant the message the messengers to those churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches now the fact that they were the seven church it means seven churches it wasn't didn't just refer to the churches that are described, the seven churches of Asia, but the church in its completeness throughout history. Now, uh, coming into chapter, section two, and I'm going to just take an, a couple of excerpts for, from, uh, well, it's more than a couple, from um, this section, and it begins with the seal, an opening of a seal on a scroll. And uh, it's actually, a, the scroll is about a deed. And that was very uh, common knowledge in the, the time this was written, a property deed. And the deed, uh, the property had been forfeited, and the, and the property description was inside the scroll. And the seals that were on the scroll uh, were, were the requirements set forth uh, uh, to open the scroll and to possess what was inside, to lay claim to it. So if a person um, uh, lost their property because of debt and uh, it was taken over by another party uh, and then that person wanted it back, well, he would qualify if he could meet the terms of 
what it would mean to restore the property to himself. And so that could be the payment of, de of debts. It could be a, a number of things. In this case, there were seven seals. And so the seven seals are the complete requirements to restore something. <laughs> and what is it that needed to be restored? Well, it was the entire earth that God it created, lost through sin. And so he says, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside on the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy? Or in other words, who's qualified to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or in earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. Not even look at it. So, so the awesomeness of the scroll is just, it, 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 it just is hard to describe. And I wept much. Well, why did he weep? Well, because what was in that scroll represented everything that was lost. Because no one was found worthy to open it and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loosen seals. And don't weep. There's good news. Anytime you talk about Jesus, there's good news. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, so we're talking about the presence of the Father, and of the living, the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lion roaring with power. No, a lamb, as though it had been slain. So here's Jesus. Here's the cross. Here's the title deed to the earth and all of its inhabitants. Here is this picture in heaven of this most awesome, awesome experience of not being that, that we just described. And, uh, and, and he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God uh, sent out into all the earth. We'll talk about what those mean uh, as we go along. But here this lamb has an authority behind him that is just, uh, wow, it's awe-inspiring. And then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So we, if you know anything about the sacrifice of Christ and the sin offering um, for the, the Day of Atonement, uh, from the Old Testament and then applied to Jesus in the New Testament, you'll know that that's what is happening here. There's a transaction that's taken place. The cross has happened. His blood was not spilt. Don't ever say he spilled his blood. He shed his blood. To spill his blood would have been an accident. To shed his blood would have been a sacrifice he made for us. Okay, wow. So I'm going to jump down now to the next chapter and read a few verses about this whole phenomenal section. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. This is the church. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you, will you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, was complete. Okay. So you're hearing this, and uh, you're living under persecution. You have um, 
perhaps your dad has been taken by the Roman soldiers and he wouldn't deny uh, his faith in Jesus and he was killed, thrown to the lions, put on a cross, torched, whatever means was used. And you're struggling with, what do I do? I don't want to die. And you're thinking, and, and Christians, and, and several of them did, renounce their faith. Uh, they said, they rationalized, well, I can just kind of cross my fingers and say, yeah, Caesar is Lord. Uh, and, and so there were struggles that people had with what do I do? When they, the soldiers come and I have to make a decision as to whether I'll live or die for my faith. And so as as they read this, the, and the, the cry from the martyred about justice for what has happened, it's a cry that goes out through the world today and always has, and it's a cry for justice. And, uh, and the message is, you know, just wait a little longer. There's more people who are going to die for their faith. But there is going to t- come a time when that, that ends. And so as we... As we are in this period of history, and we're moving towards the final chapter of human history, there are people today that die for their faith. There are many who sacrifice not necessarily their life's blood, but their life. They give their lives to Christ, and they say, I will serve you as long as you give me breath, as long as I have, have days. And so we're, we're summoned to, to not save our lives, but to lose them, because in losing our lives, Jesus said you get to keep them. So uh, let's move to chapter 6, verse 12 to 16, just as a continuation of this chapter. I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops It's late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll. (laughs) Interesting, the two scrolls. When it was rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? And so this is a a, a picture, one hand, uh, such glory. On the other hand, such a a powerful proclamation of of the ultimate end of evil and those who practice it. And then one more scripture, chapter 7, verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, (laughs) Who are these? arrayed in white robes. And where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them, and they shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, this just didn't apply to some future tribulation. This applied to them. And it applies to us. It's a timeless principle that goes throughout human history from the time Jesus came until the time he returns again. Uh, I don't know about you, but I I just get not shivers of fear or cold, but just warm, 
warm, is there such a thing as a warm shiver? Uh, just, just, I don't know. I, I, I look at this and say, wow. No, no sacrifice made on the behalf of your trust in, and love to Jesus will ever, ever go unrewarded. And the price that you pay to make those sacrifices, whatever that price might be, is inconsequential compared to the blessings that are yours today and will follow in the days to come. And you, we can stop right there and we can give praise to the Lord and thank him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, uh, let me move on to section uh, three. And I'll read a couple of passages, not as many as the last one. Uh, so now we're into trumpets of judgment. Uh, verses eight, chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should uh, offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Okay, there's an altar in heaven with your prayers. Uh, in, in the presence of that altar. And the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints ascended before God from an angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth, and there were many noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So here you have the presence of God. You have uh, the Lamb, Jesus, who is in the center of, of that you have the uh, angels, the heavenly beings assigned uh, to minister to, the, to the, the saints of God, to you, and the prayers of God's people, the intercessions that actually accumulate and are there as, as wonderful, wonderful uh, incense that is offered to God daily. And then also, there is these judgments, these thunderings, and this earthquake, and these noises. So there you have those three things again tied, tied together. Jesus, the center, the church, and the judgments. Chapter 11, verses 15 to 19. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there was loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks. Oh, there's so much praise in the book of Revelation. Chapter 5 is just so full of choruses of praise, praise and you'll find it all through the, the, the book. And it's the church in worship to Christ. We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Remember Jesus saying that about himself? Because you have taken your great power and reigned. Now the nations were angry, and your wrath has come and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. See, see those themes running hand in hand. Jesus, the church, the judgments to come. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple, and there were lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquake and great hail. Now, section four. Uh, and as I go along, I'll be reading less passages of scripture. This is a picture of history. It starts, it starts with a history from the time of the birth of Christ until the time of his return. And he said, now there, were, there appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon, and under her feet and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now you go down to verse 30, 13. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman and gave birth, who gave birth to the male child. Well, we know who that was. But the woman was given two 
wings of a great eagle. Now, of course, this is not literal, but this is what happened uh, from God's standpoint of view, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Who's that? Jew. It's the church. Who keep his, the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now listen, there's so much imagery here, so many signs. The picture of, this, uh, of these two wings of a, of a great eagle. Do they apply, apply to you today? Well, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up. With wings as eagles, they will run and not be weary. They won't be faint. So there is a strengthening, a supernatural undergirding of God through all of life's trials, whatever they are. And in verse four, chapter 14, verses 12 to 13, here is the patience of the saints. Oh, remember that John said that he was their brother and companion in tribulation, in the kingdom, and in patience. Here is the patience of the saints and those who keep the commandments of God and, give, and the faith of Jesus. And then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, is the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their, work, and their works follow them. Wow. So many messages to the church. And I can only imagine the people at the time reading this, and they're just probably weeping in praise and celebration to God as the signs are unfolding to them the truth of what's really happening as far as God sees it the behind-the-scenes forces that aren't visible to the human eye or understood by the human mind, but are revealed by the Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. The, um, sec the fifth section, and it's, uh, it's about judgments again. And these judgments are, are bowls. How is our time? Do I... I Okay, 10 more minutes. Is that okay? Then do I hear 11? Can I have 11? Uh, anyway, <laughs> 15. All right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, chapter, uh, um, chapter 15. And this is, uh, these are, this, uh, this fifth section is chapter 15 and chapter 16. It opens with, I saw another sign in heaven. Signs, signs, signs. Greater and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, and for in them the wrath of God is complete. Now notice it also said before that the wrath of God was complete. So really what is happening throughout the book in these sections, in a way they're repeating what happened in the other. It, it was another way of saying the same thing. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your, are your ways. O King of kings, O King of the saints, rather, who shall not fear you? O Lord, and glorify your name, for you are alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been 
manifested. And these, after these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the, tes- uh, of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living uh, creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. What does that mean? (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, it's a wonderful truth, and uh, maybe we'll get to talk about it at some other time. Um, oh boy, I just I just want to beg for another twenty minutes, but I think I better I better take what I was given. Uh, section six. This is the scarlet woman and the scarlet beast. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying, Come and I will show you. So here's another section. Show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of this earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup. So she was an impressive gal. But that cup was full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. So here we're given another city. Babylon is opposed to Jerusalem. (laughs) And uh, Babylon, which represents evil and ruled by this harlot and Jerusalem, Hallelujah. And I saw the woman uh, drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So here's the blood of the saints again. Here are the martyrs. Here are the people from the book of Revelation who are reading this and thinking, yeah, Nero's drunk. Sure he is, and he falls into this category and all the things. And throughout history, we think, my dear, uh, it's just like there's forces of evil that are against me and and the church, and we experience that in different ways. I had a a text from a a pastor who I have great respect for, and he said to me, uh, he said, Bruce, I've been going, in those last couple of weeks, I've been going through a real personal trial. And uh, I didn't have time to uh, really talk to him or call him because he was getting ready for church. So I just texted him back and said, do you want to talk? And she, he just gave me one of those things. What are one of those things? Anyway, thumbs up. Yeah, I knew that, but it means whatever. Anyway, it's a sign, right? And we're talking about signs, right? <laughs> I think it meant that, he's go- that he wants me to call him. Anyway, chapter 19, verses 1 to 8, which continues in this same theme about uh, the scarlet woman. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he, and he has, and by the way, that doesn't just mean sexual sin. It's a picture of unfaithfulness to God. And again they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 12, we can't fool around with the things of God, brothers and sisters. 
Judgment isn't just a slap on the wrist, it's forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you the servants and those who fear him, both great and small. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, <laughs> we can't sing, we got to wear masks. Is that what it said? It was a, don't you long to be in a praise meeting where this happens? Well, we can practice down here and fulfill it and see it fulfilled in its ultimate someday. Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come, the ultimate consummation of our faith in Jesus is likened to a marriage. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen. Linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now the last section, and I'm just going to read one part. Um, it's... Uh, it begins in chapter 20, it goes to chapter 22, and uh, wow, uh, this, is, this is powerful reading in these chapters. Uh, it begins with these words, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. And that I, then I, John, saw the holy city. Now, just prior to that, we're talking about the city of Babylon, and, and, and now, well, what a difference. And it was the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, which means dwelling place, of God is with men, women, of course, included. And he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Everything else isn't. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. We're talking about Jesus. And how he repeats that statement throughout the book of Revelation. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Now remember the image of the harlot on the, on the sea, filled with uh, uh, spreading her abomination across the earth. But now here's a different water and a different source, the water of life. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the mur murderers, sexually immoral, uh, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their place in the lake of fire which burns, <laughs> the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Well, we've unpacked several things this morning and made reference to so many different pictures and images that are in the Bible, and all of them with such profound, profound truth. And there's a, there's a uh, one little 
statement out of this last section. I wonder if it's still there. Uh, uh, where are we? Ah, right at the top, verse 6. He said to me, and when I read it, I underlined it. I, I, I just, because I, as I was reading this, uh, on one of my readings, it's just, it was just like, Bruce, he's saying this to you. And, and, and John was personalizing it as he wrote this, and, and it's just like the voice of the Spirit came to me and said, Bruce, you need to personalize this for yourself. And of course, it's much more than I can comprehend or take in the awesomeness of worship, the awesomeness of the covenant, the awesomeness of the seventh seal, sealed document that only Jesus could open, and the Lamb well, who was worthy and praised in heaven, blessing and honor and glory and power unto him and sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And all through the book, the powerful worship. And, and Bruce, you really need to get into this again. In fact, you've, treaded, you've, you, you've walked a, a Christian walk ever since you were six. And there's been ups and downs. And... and and it's like, don't ever think you've arrived. <laughs> don't ever think there isn't more. There's more. And the heart cry of my, of my being is, oh God, more. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your love. Pour out your word. Pour out the spirit of prayer in the, in the church. Let it rise as incense. Let us understand the importance, the premier importance of prayer. Oh, God. He said to me, and you know what? He's got things he wants you to hear, and I know you've been hearing them this morning. And he wants you not just to sit and listen to these messages and say, oh, now I understand, or come into an understanding of some of the symbols. No, he, much, much, much more than that, he has a personal word for you. A word that will lift you out of any despair and discouragement. A, world, a word that will lift you out of habitual sin or the struggles that you might have with depression or fear or whatever. He has a word for you today to give you hope that relates to the burdens of your life. Two loved ones in the Philippines, two loved ones in Nigeria, two loved ones in other countries of the world that are in this church. And for us who are been Canadians all our lives, for people from England, from from any everyone in this church and and Kojo uh, from. There's just so many different countries represented here, and the burdens that you have for family, for, um, he has a word for you. It's a faith word. It's a hope word. It's a trust word. It's an assurance word. It's a word that never fails, never can fail, because it's uttered by him who is the first and the last and who sits on the throne. And I pray this morning that you will hear that word.